Tony, if someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. I'm sorry, Steve, that, that is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not SHIELD. It's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down, stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. Longing, rusted, 17, daybreak, furnace, nine, the nine, homecoming. One. Let me stop you right there because I am not going to be put under Are my you ready control. to comply? No. <laughs> I was going to wait to the end and just say, ready to comply. Freight, mm. the freight car is the last one. It got me at the very last I waited. One. I was like, I know it's not. I was like, it's soon after homecoming. And it would have been better if I did it in Russian, but I don't know Russian. So. I'm not going to lie. The only like Russian word I know is no, which is nine. Nine. And so when they're saying nine, I was like, that's not how you say nine. And it's like, wait, they're saying the number nine. They're that's not number I mean, soldats is pretty easy, <laughs> too. That's true. I just remember it was um, growing up listening to like 96.1 or the rock radio station. It was one of the, uh, I think it was like a video game store or something where you could trade in your games. And there was always a guy that's like, nine, no games for you. And so that's how I figured out what that meant. Was no. was he doing a spoof of the Seinfeld thing with the no soup for you? I mean, Probably. it could have been. Could have been. I haven't watched Seinfeld. Ugh. All right, Seinfeld. Um, I did. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What the What podcast. <laughs> we are excited for you to join us today. My name is Eric Creech. On the couch, we have Kyle Whitley. Here I am. And on the What the What teleprompter, we have Ashby Brame. Hello. Hey. Very excited for today's episode. Ashby, are you on a scale of like one to ten, where are you on this episode today? Nine. <laughs> now is that a no or is that a nine? Because now I'm confused. Oh, I will say that ever since we started Ashby ever came on, this is the one she's been talking about. Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, Winter ready. Soldier, Winter Soldier was the one. first one, but then this, then one. this one. And then we're probably going to get like a note after this was, you know, like a little FedEx box with a mm-hmm. cell phone. Like, hey, sorry, but I'm leaving. Um, yep. If you ever need me, here's my here's a flip phone. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you ever need me, I'll be there. I'll be yep. there. <laughs> Let me They're go like, break. great, Ashby, we need you next week. <laughs> Let me go break some people out of a, out of a prison here. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I try to think of anybody I know in prison that we could break out. Let's say, no, I'm not going there. Let's not go there. I'm sure we all know somebody, but let's mm-hmm. not go there. So, yeah. Thank you for joining us tonight. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcast. And, of course, rate and review us. Five stars only. Or I'm calling Aunt May, and you're done. Please follow us on social media channels by searching for What the What Media. All one word. On the Facebooks, Instagram, and YouTubes. We're also on Twitter at WTW underscore media. Share this with your friends, but understand something. Our very strength insights challenge. And challenge insights conflict. Conflict breeds catastrophe. Yeah, just but still share it with your friends anyway. I mean, who cares? Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. Share. Last time on the pod, we discussed Wonder Woman. 
on today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into 2016's Captain America Civil War. Here is your spoiler warning for today's episode. While the third Captain America movie, arguably maybe the fourth Iron Man movie, is your primary focus, we may be discussing any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including Marvel television shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Eric's favorite, Agent Carter, my favorite, the tie-in comics, and any of the other 22 MCU films, taking the entire saga into account. And to be fair, I will be talking about those shows. So. Correct. Same, same, same. With all that said, let's get our passports and travel to Germany. Wait, you can't go to Germany. You have homework. Yes. I'm going to pretend like you didn't say that. Kyle and Eric are going to recap this movie. Let's do it. Or Kyle let's or Eric. <laughs> Toss a coin. Kyle and Eric. I, think Team Kyle, I, Team gonna, Eric. I don't have a copy of the recap, so Eric's going to recap, and I'll join in and say, sure. Okay. 1991. The brainwashed super soldier James Bucky Barnes is dispatched from a Hydra base in Siberia to intercept an automobile carrying a case of super soldier serum. In the present day, approximately one year after Ultron's defeat in the nation of Sokovia at the hands of the Avengers, Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, Sam Wilson, and Wanda Maximoff are attempting to stop Brock Rumlow from stealing a biological weapon from a lab in Lagos, Nigeria. Rumlow, also known as Crossbones in the comics, by the way, he ends up blowing himself up, freezing Captain America whenever he says the name Bucky. It's like a little 16-year-old kid back there. Uh, but Maximoff telekinetically diverts the explosion. You know, sounds like a good idea, right? Except you're... She, you know, it kind of explodes in a nearby building, accidentally killing several Wakandan humanitarian workers. Tough gig for my girl, Wanda. I'm sure that'll never come back to Honor. Uh, Thaddeus Ross, Thunderbolt Ross, as we know, uh, he's now the United States Secretary of State, which I don't understand. Moving on up. Why? He, it, we'll talk about that later. But uh, he, he informs the Avengers that the United Nations are preparing to pass the Sokovia Accords which will establish a UN panel to oversee and control the team. The Avengers are divided. Tony Stark supports oversight because of his role in Ultron's creation, Sokovia's devastation, and a little bit of emotional manipulation from a parent of one of the kids who died in Sokovia. Um, while Steve Rogers has more faith in his own judgment than that of politicians, also fair. Meanwhile, Helmut Zemo, Baron Zemo in the comics, tracks down and kills Barnes' old Hydra handler, stealing a book containing the trigger words that activate Barnes' brainwashing. At a conference in Vienna where the accords are to be ratified, a bomb kills King T'Chaka of Wakanda. Sorry to see you go, King. Security footage indicates that the bomber is Barnes because, you know, their camera sucked for some reason. And T'Chaka's son, T'Challa, played wonderfully by Chadwick Boseman here in his first appearance, he vows to kill Bucky Barnes. Rogers decides to bring in Barnes himself. He's his childhood friend, comrade. Um, Rogers and Sam Wilson track Barnes to Bucharest and attempt to protect him from T'Challa and the authorities, but all four, including T'Challa, are apprehended by the Bucharest police and James Rhodes. Are we sure I'm coming through on this? I cannot hear me in the headphones at all on my microphone. Your headphones are down. Okay. Can you turn you my said Astrid was really loud. You turned me up a little bit then. Sorry for the break here. There we go. Impersonating a psychiatrist sent to interview Barnes, Zemo recites the words to make Barnes obey him 
and he questions Barnes and sends him on a rampage to cover his own escape. Steve Rogers stops Barnes and sneaks him away, and when Barnes regains his senses, he explains that Zemo is the real Vienna bomber and wanted the location of the Siberian Hydra base where the other brainwashed Winter Soldiers are kept in cryogenic stasis. Yep, there's five more just like him. Unwilling to wait for the authorization to apprehend Zemo, Rogers and Wilson go rogue. They recruit Wanda. Clint Barton coming out of retirement. And a guy named Scott Lang, who's just, you know... Think, thanks for thinking of me. As He's he just said. happy to be there. He's just happy to be I know you know a lot of superpowered people, so thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> um, well, with Thunderbolt Ross's permission, Tony Stark assembles a team of his own comprised of Natasha, T'Challa, Rhodey, The Vision, and some kid from, uh, from Queens named Peter Parker, who I'm sure we'll never hear from again. Um, Stark's team intercepts Roger's group, in Germany, where they fight until Romanoff allows Rogers and Barnes to escape. The rest of Rogers' team is captured and detained at the raft. Not as fun as it sounds, while Rhodes is partially paralyzed after being inadvertently shot down by Vision, and Romanoff goes into exile because she betrayed her team. You know, that whole double agent thing's hard to shake off. Tony Stark discovers evidence that Barnes was framed by Zemo. He was wrong. And he convinces Wilson to give him Roger's destination. Without informing Thunderbolt Ross, Tony goes to the Siberian Hydra facility and he strikes a truce with Steve and Bucky, unaware that they were also followed by T'Challa. And there they find those super soldiers that they were going to prevent from wreaking havoc on the world. Well, they're already dead. Bullets put through their head in the cryogenic stasis. Uh, It turns out um, Zemo, he wasn't going to unleash these super soldiers on the world. He just wanted to get them there to show Tony that Tony's parents were killed by one James Buchanan Barnes back in 1991. Ashby's in love with a killer. Yes. Yes. Uh, enraged that uh, Steve Rogers knew this information, kept it from him, Stark turns on both of them, leading to an intense fight in which Stark destroys Barnes's robotic arm uh, and Rogers disables Tony's armor. Steve departs with Barnes, leaving his shield behind, beginning the nomad phase of Steve Rogers in the MCU. Satisfied that he has avenged his family's death in Sokovia from the Avengers' actions by successfully fracturing them, Baron Zemo attempts suicide, but he is stopped by T'Challa, and he's taken to the authorities. In the aftermath, Tony Stark provides Rhodes with exoskeletal leg braces that allow him to walk again while Steve Rogers breaks his allies out of the raft, and Steve sends Tony a letter via FedEx for... Tony Stank. Mm. Yeah, that's always his name. He's here right here. Tony Stank. Yes, this is Tony Stank. Yeah, right here. (laughs) Apologizing and providing a cell phone to Tony should he ever need him. He will be there. We'll see that cell phone again in Infinity War, by the way. Mid-credit scene, Bucky and Steve are in Wakanda where Bucky is undergoing voluntary cryogenesis freezing while the Wakandas work on fixing his mind control. And in a post-credit scene... Peter Parker is explaining to his unusually hot Aunt May uh, how he got into a fight with a bigger guy, a lot bigger guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, while he was on his little trip to Germany there. And uh, he discovers the features built into his new web shooters that were provided by Tony. Some information about this film. Captain America Civil War grossed $408.1 million in the United States and Canada, $475.2 million in other territories for a worldwide total worldwide total of 1.153 billion that's a lot of money 
by May 10th, 2016, the film had grossed $737.8 million, surpassing the entire theatrical gross of its predecessor, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. It became the highest-grossing film of 2016, the fourth-highest-grossing superhero film of all time, and the third-highest-grossing film in the U.S. and Canada of 2016, behind Rogue One and Finding Dory. Finding Dory, really? Wow. Of course. Of course, of course. I've not seen it. Critics and audiences both enjoyed this film. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, 89% from audiences. But the real question is, did you enjoy this film, Ashby? Okay, first of all, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way, and I will never bring it up again. Oh, boy. How is Sebastian Stan so hot in this movie with his hair and his stubble and his, like, smolder, and he's, like, beefed up, and he's got super broad shoulders, and how he looks in that red Henry? I just can't. Okay, I'm I've got one question. Oh, boy. Why are we never talking about that again? That should be talked about all the time. Every episode... I just feel like I'm, okay, you know, so, I don't want to keep bringing it up. No, no, no. So but here's the, but here's the thing, though. He has a TV show coming out. It's part of the MCU. We're going to talk about it when it comes out, I'm sure. He gets sure. a haircut, doesn't he? He does get a haircut. Uh, right now, if we keep our MCU schedule, we'll be talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 1 next March. So you're going to have to talk about Bucky again. I'm just saying. Oh, no. I'm going to talk about Bucky ad nauseum. I'm only going to speak about how incredibly attractive I find Sebastian Stan once, so you don't have to keep They're the same person. or Well, they're not, but mm. as far as I know, Sebastian Stan hasn't killed a bunch of people. Aren't they? <laughs> I mean, as far as we know. Did you like the movie, Ashby? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Kyle, did you like this movie? Si. All right. That means yes. That does mean yes in Espanol. Si. Gracias. Mm-hmm. So I had one little like thinky thought that didn't fit anywhere but here, just because we're sort of talking about the the movie in general. Like, did you like it? Did you not like it? Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting that if you think of the Winter Soldier through the context of like a spy thriller, that's sort of a metaphor for you know government surveillance and Big Brother. Then I feel like Civil War ends up being sort of a furthering of that metaphor and that conversation where we think of government oversight versus like personal freedoms. So I just really love how those these two movies are obviously very tied together in that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the idea of, you know, when you look, let's, well, this can lead into our next section here. Um discussion of character and story arcs, our first person we're talking about is Captain America. This is his movie. Um, looking at his character arc here, in his first movie in the first Avenger, the, um, you know, Captain, Captain America, Steve Rogers, he's all about country, all about patriotism. He wants to serve his country. He's willing to do anything to serve his country because that's the right thing to do. He wants to stand up to the bullies. And when mm-hmm. he comes out of the ice, you know, he has this conversation with Tony, uh, not with Tony, but with Nick Fury. You know, Fury said that the world's a lot different than when you left it. And he starts to see how, in, in the Avengers, how he can't really trust the, the government because they're hot. You know, they're, they're doing the same thing Hydra was doing. They're using the Tesseract to build weapons and to kind of hide it from the people they're asking to fight for them. You see a further um, furtherance of that in Winter Soldier where, uh, you know, half of S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra at that point. The same people he fought in 1945 or the 1940s to, uh, to, uh, to eradicate. And so it's all, you know, looking at his mindset here, when the Sokovia Accords are brought up, he's like, he makes a really good point. 
you know, we're putting this, you know, in the hands of other people who have agendas, and agendas can be changed. You know, right. Depending on who is in charge, the safest right. hands are still our own. So I mean, yeah. So you you see that through line from his, you know his story arc from the beginning. He's all about it, but as time changes and as the world changes, his you know it's not just about blindly putting on the um, the shield and the and the flag and and patriotism. It's about what's doing what's right. And in his mind, he's seen it where the people who claim to be doing the right thing, not so much. Yeah, I also think that Steve, Steve's character arc and Steve himself really can be a foil for the American people and our trust in our government as we move out of World War II and into conflicts like the Cold War, the Vietnam War, um, the war on terrorism. And, you know, Steve has this sort of, you know, mindset at the very beginning that everyone had in World War II, where, you know, we were this monolithic nation of like righteousness and goodness and democracy and peace. And we were fighting with other nations who stood for that against this, you know, awful like access power. And it was very clear what sides there were and whose side you should be on and the American people could easily rally behind the government and our need to go to war. And then as you move into conflicts like the cold war and the Carthianism and communism and the red scare and, you know, trying to convince people that their neighbors were commies. And then we move into Vietnam and we're not sure why we're there and we're not sure what we're doing over there. And we're not sure of the methods that our own government is using um, the tactics of war and torture. And I just think it all gets so much more complicated as the decades go on. And so you can sort of see that battle within Steve as he wakes up and understands the modern concepts of warfare and um, espionage and political negotiations and, you know, what's happening. And so I really think by the time we get to this movie, he's lost a lot of faith in entities. He still has faith in people and individuals, but the idea that the Avengers should have to ask a committee for permission to go rescue people is really upsetting to him, you know, because there are a lot of things that the Avengers do that are very last minute, that are down to the wire, life-saving initiatives that they take part in. And to have to sit around and wait for a committee to give them permission, how many people would die in the interim while they waited for all the red tape to be taken away, you know? Absolutely. Um, when so yeah, you mentioned you know it's it's no longer black or white. It's it's definitely shades of gray here. And so, what do you fall back on when you can't fall back on anything else? You fall back on the people you love and trust the most. So he right. he sees this in Bucky Barnes. This is the his friend that he could not save in the 1940s. He, right, he could not. You know, he he died on a mission, or you know, so we thought could not save him and get through to him during the events of the Winter Soldier in 2014. Um, but he knows his friend is in there, so he, he's he's looking to preserve that relationship because he knows that the person that Bucky is 
is not the same person who committed all those crimes, um, has been you know brought out of cryogenic stasis over the years to commit all these assassinations. So he leans on him, he leans on Sam, he leans on the ones he trusts the most. He doesn't trust the government at this point. Um, but he, like you said, he, I mean, he even says that his faith still is in people. His family is still with, you know, with people, even though the Avengers may not be his family. He's used to being alone. But, you know, he has the people that he can trust the most by his side. And that's something that, for better or for worse, um, you know, you see Cap's mindset. I don't even think I mentioned it in the recap because for some reason it wasn't mentioned in the recap. But the love of his life dies in this movie. Right. And Steve that, goes through a lot. Yeah, he goes through a lot in this movie. You know, he was on a mission that went bad. Um, you know, he's trying to keep the team together. He's being told that they need to give up control or authorization to a panel of politicians and bureaucrats. The love of his life dies. He's, he's battling that. And, you know, he's kind of inspired by the words that her niece, we'll talk about that at some point, um, mm-hmm. shared at the funeral about, you know, when you know that, you know, compromise where you can, but on places you can't, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree. And when they tell you to move, you say, no, you move. I mean, that's, that is the turning point where he's like, no, I know I'm right here. Um, you know, I'm not willing to just stand by and let, you know, my, my responsibility be determined by a group of politicians who have agendas. I'm not going to turn my friend in who I know was brainwashed. It wasn't him. Um, I'm not going to let them kill him because he, you know, he has a lot to offer. But also, that's also his last, like, connection to the life he had before he went in the ice. So, yeah. Cal, me and me and Ashley have talked a lot. <laughs> you're jump, good. Jump in. I don't need to talk about stuff. I mean, if your guys are covering it and it sounds good. Um We'll go ahead and jump to Iron Man because I feel like I can say something about him. Um, I feel like a part that hits for me, and I know we're later we're going to do the versus part, so I'm not, not trying to get too much into that. But you mentioned earlier about how there's that beginning part in the scene where he's there. Um, is it MIT that he's at? Yes, he's and at And then MIT. he gives, you know, he grants, pretty much funds all the people there, all their projects they're wanting to work on. Go um, break some eggs. And he gets behind stage, and there's this lady. Looks like she's just randomly waiting for the elevator. But turns out she's really just waiting for him, and wants to express, you know, the fact that her son is dead now because of him and because of the Avengers and things that have happened. And I think it was, I, th- I like the way it was done there, um, because it's different if it's just the politician guy showing up saying you're doing a bunch of bad stuff. It's different if you've got people just complaining because people complain regardless, no matter what you do. Um, but to, to be there talking with someone face to face and her, you know, seeing a picture of someone who literally died trying to, you know, and he was just there because he wanted to do good and help people. And the guy, just because he happened to be there is dead now. Um, and I think, you know, it probably reflects a lot back on the Tony. Um, you know, you think back to the first Iron Man where all of a sudden you realize, you know, his bombs are the ones that are, you know, killing all these people. Um, he's there saying that, you know, they're being sold to the bad people just to make money. Um, so he came back, you know, that's how he wanted to be Iron Man to begin with to make a difference. Um, and then you see it in other movies too, you know, with Ultron and other things, he had parts in creating these villains, creating these things. Um, and I can see that where being a person, you know, that does care about people and everything else, like I could see how that could kind of 
twist you pretty quick to be like, okay, something's got to be done, you know, to see all these things, to see all the people you've killed, all the things that's happened because of you. I can see really fast where you do have to say, we got to make something. We got, we got to figure this out, be in check. So we're not just going out and this is happening all the right. time. More so like, you know, I can't deal with this on my conscience anymore of knowing that every time we're just going out doing whatever, I could be killing more people. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a lot more in depth to that. But I think that's kind of the basis that he stands on for this movie. Well, you, you look at, I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Uh, but you look at Tony's arc in the Avengers movies only. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, it was the accusation brought to him early on in that movie. You're not the guy who's going to make the sacrifice play. And we find out at the end of the movie, in, in the Avengers movie, that's what he does. He's willing to make the sacrifice play. But he goes up through that little wormhole with that nuke, and he sees the vast majority of that space. And he sees, he even says it in the second Avenger movie, that's the end game. You know, I saw that, and it's changed my perspective on everything. I want to make sure that never happens again. So that's what led to Ultron. Mm -hmm. He was trying to put a suit of armor around the world. He failed miserably. (laughs) But the idea is still there. This is not a new idea. Like, I know, like, when I first saw this, I had the, you know, like, that's kind of a weird turn for Tony where he's now on the government's side. But it's not nece- yeah. it's not necessarily he's on the government's side, but he, he knows that there's something coming. Wanda, when she puts that vision of all these dead Avengers in his head at the beginning of Age of Ultron, that fuels that fear even more with trying to put the suit of armor around around the world. And... He just wants something so he can take, so he can rest at night, so he can make sure that he's, um, you know, he's still kind of addicted to this whole saving the world kind of thing to the point where Pepper has left him. So he, he is trying to do what he thinks right is right in this situation. Um, so this is the movie where Tony lost me. Like I was a huge, I mean, obviously I've always been a huge Captain America fan, but I was I was into Iron Man. You can like both of them. They right. both have really great character arcs. They have really great standalone movies. They both have really great components in both Avengers movies. Right. And I could always see both sides. But Tony, the way that he acts in this movie really turned him into a bad guy for me. Not a villain, just like a like a bad guy, you know? Um, I get really angry at the fact that, that he does sort of this 180 and Mr. You're welcome. I privatize world peace is suddenly arguing that the Avengers should have government oversight. I mean, he basically told the government that they could pry the Iron Man suit from his cold dead hands. And now he's like, we should be letting this UN panel tell us what to do which almost makes the opposite sense to me because if Tony is so worried about this idea that the Avengers will need to take on this end game, which is like, you know, having threats from outer space, why would he want red tape in front of that? I I just don't see, I feel like this entire movie is Tony trying to make up for what he did with Ultron but his mistakes are his own. And I don't think the rest of the team and all supernatural ability people should have to pay for that, for Tony having this massive guilt trip. I mean, the raft scene makes me so angry because 
even admitting that he's wrong to Sam, he's still so self-righteous about what side of the jail cell he's on. Right. And I mean, he acts like he's so upset that they have Wanda in a straitjacket and Clint behind bars. But like, what did Tony think was going to happen? You know, I, I just I get so mad at him in this movie. Like, I I understand Tony's motivations and I understand the guilt behind it and I understand where his emotions are and he's doing the best he can in this movie, but the way he acts and his attitude throughout the entirety of it is so off putting to me, um, that it's really hard for me to see his side. And that's the thing that you mentioned his guilt. And I think this is both true in the MCU and in the comics canon, which we'll talk about it later. But when you put a face to the devastation that has been inadvertently caused by your actions, whether they be noble or, you know, and there's inadvertent consequences to everything that you do. Um, I think that's what kind of, you know, shakes him up a little bit. Yes. He's already, you know, whenever he meets um, the mother after his presentation at MIT, he was already kind of shaken up because there was a little part in that teleprompter about pepper pots and they're on a break. And, you know, he's dealing with the fallout of that. And then she approaches him with a picture of her son who wanted to do, you know, some really good stuff, I think, in Sokovia. You know, as like, a, you know, after he graduated from college, was a smart, smart kid, wanted to do some humanitarian. And he was inadvertently killed by the events that happened in Sokovia, um, which are directly Tony Stark's fault. Um, he starts to think about maybe... I, maybe the, the, it should be taken away from me. Maybe, maybe I should give up because right now he's addicted. He he even admits it, you know, in I believe in Endgame how he just he couldn't or in Infinity War he just couldn't stop building Iron Man suits. He couldn't stop living that superhero life. Maybe it needs to be taken away from me. Um, it's not necessarily necessarily the right path. Um, and I would argue that there is no, I mean, necessarily, and you know, not really to get into the debate. I think there's flaws on everybody's side here because I think there's good points on Tony's side. I think there's good points on Cap's side. Um, you know, there, there's not really, I don't, I don't think he intended for it to necessarily, I think he just thought if we can get everyone on the same side here, I think they even talk about it, you know, when they had captured Barnes, you know, Cap was like, you know, we can make some modifications. And Tony's like, absolutely. Yeah, just let's put pen to paper. Let's figure it out. And then, but let's, you know, let's just get this, get this on, and then we can figure it out. But, you know, he, he's trying to find a way to, I guess, calm that guilt of killing some innocents, you know, that were involved in any of the missions that he's been a part in his in his quest to put that suit of armor around the world, he's done, he, he has inadvertently caused more devastation. And I think he's looking for someone to just take the keys away from him. It doesn't make it right. Right. Doesn't make it right. I totally understand that. And I, I get it. But to me, it's like Tony's decided that smoking's bad for him and he should stop. But, Instead, he's also going to just outlaw cigarettes for everyone, just right. make cigarettes illegal. Well, I think about it, too. It, if you think about his character and his, like, just being egotistical in general, um, once you've been proven where you feel wrong about something, 
And here's the thing is, you know, they put this out in front of him to say like, well, this is a solution. Then he just goes 100% that way. And instead of feeling, you know, I should really look into this and see if every bit of this is right. It was more so, well, I feel horrible about what I've been doing. So we're going to go with this. Obviously, everybody should just go with this because I say we should go with this. Right. Let's move forward. And so he still well, keeps and- that arrogance about him. But it definitely – And I, I would even say who hasn't in their quest to do the right thing been blinded, you know, had had blind spots. I mean, you, we've mentioned what do you think was going to happen whenever they, they captured him. He even says, I didn't think they'd put you here. This is a place for – and Clint says, criminals. Criminals? That, that's, that's what That's the word you you're looking us. for. Yes, what you made us. Criminals. And, you know, and Tony's like, no, 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 you, you know, you could have signed, you know, you, and especially to Clint, like – Clint was in retirement. Clint didn't have to come back. Clint did put himself out there. That's that's him. He needs to take you know some responsibility for his actions there too. Um, right. But they all made choices. They all made choices, and whether we like them or not, um, you know that's that, that's how it goes. Now, I'm, but I'm not necessarily arguing that Tony's right here. I'm just saying his mindset. Right. He, he it's not the best mindset, nor was Steve Rogers mindset the best either. He's also blinded right. by his biases as well. Well, and that, that also is, got me a little angry at the end about Tony sort of being wishy-washy because I'm 100% willing to admit that this entire movie is Steve Rogers being emotionally compromised. Like right. he is not thinking clearly. He is on a personal mission to save Bucky Barnes. And, you know, I think Steve has, given up a lot and understands and feels like he's given up a lot to be the perfect Captain America, to be the Captain America that people remember that they deserve, that they want. And I think this is Steve's line in the sand. Like I have one person in this world who knows the real me and I'm not going to let you kill him. And I'm not going to let you shut him in a box and forget that he exists. He's not a criminal. He's a prisoner of war. And I, I think that Steve definitely just goes off the rails. Like I'm, I, I don't think he's thinking clearly. I agree with some of his points on the accords and why he won't sign them. Um, and I am on team cap, but I'm not blind to the issues there. But what makes me mad is that's Tony's entire argument. The whole movie is that Steve's not thinking clearly. Steve is making this personal. Steve needs to calm down. Steve needs to stand down. And then the second, the second that this becomes personal for Tony and he figures out that Bucky killed his parents, everything goes out the window and Tony goes off the rails and tries to kill Bucky. He doesn't care that Bucky didn't mean to kill his parents. He doesn't care that Bucky's brainwashed. He doesn't care about the accords. He just goes nutso. And it's like, you've been preaching this entire movie about Steve being compromised and now you're losing it. it it's and, a classic case of, yes. well, you know, I didn't, you know, whenever it wasn't happening to me, this was my case. But the right. moment it happens to you, you Correct. lose all perspective. Right. 100%. The rules apply to me when I feel like they apply to me. And yes. when I don't want them to apply to me, they don't. It's definitely a tough look for Tony in this movie. I'm not saying his actions were perfect. But there are, like I said, shades of gray um, for him as well. Um well, real quick on that, yes. like, not to jump ahead necessarily to different characters or whatever, but I was thinking about... Well, then don't jump ahead. Well, this is important right into what we're talking about, is um, Rhodey <laughs> makes a comment that if it, like, in the very beginning of the movie, 
Or like at least when this is brought to their attention, that if it would have been accepted and looked, you know, and thought about, this whole movie would be done. But for the most part. But Rhodey mentions, and I don't have the line right in front of me, but he mentions like, you know, okay, we could do this, obviously with some, you know, pretty much saying we can look over this and make some corrections or, you know, some compromise type thing, work this out. And they're like, no, it's being done in like two days or whatever far it is. Like, it's like, no, this weekend it's happening. Like, there's no time to look at this and, you know, negotiate anything or talk about anything or really look into this. This is what your option is. And then this is happening. So you don't have time to really talk this out. Um, and I, I just feel like, and I know it's a movie and you have to have that for the movie to work, like for them to just ignore it. But, um, because you honestly kindly, you get there towards the end of the movie when Steve and Tony are talking about, you know, well, we can make some changes and we can do this, like not necessarily the end, but when Tony's trying to get him to sign or whatever, and that doesn't work out, um, that's all this should have been in the first place is like, sure, there's some things that we need to work out and talk about that. So, you know, we're held accountable a little bit. Cause I think about the same way too, is we can't travel to certain countries or we can't do certain things without at least having passports or paperwork or whatever. They literally hop in, you know, they don't technically have like a team jet like the X-Men do, but like they can just hop in and go wherever they please anytime they want to. Um, and I can get, whereas being a country, you have to be careful about just saying that's okay for him to come in, but it's not okay for you to come here or different things. Um, and that's a whole deeper level that we don't need to get into. Um, but that's the part that really stood out to me that I'd forgotten about. And then watching in this week when Rhodey just speaks up automatically, like, well, okay, this isn't a horrible thing. Like we obviously can make some changes. Like, no, they shut that down. There's that's not happening. We're just moving forward. Um, and if somebody was like that to me, and just came in and threw something on my desk and say, like, sign this, this is what we're doing now, and there's no way to talk about it or at least look over it or have any discussion, I'm automatically going to be against it. Like, just because, not necessarily against what's there, but I feel like you should be able to have a discussion about things like that. Yeah, I got questions about that. Like, it gets on their desk, like, three days before they're going to sign, the union's going to sign it. Like, like, come on. I mean, like, mm-hmm. give them a chance to, like, have part of the discussion. I couldn't have read that thing in three days. No, like, no. And actually comprehended it well enough anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, you know who doesn't really care about the Sokovia Accords? A guy named Helmut Zemo. Because he he had a plan that didn't really he didn't really matter about the Sokovia Accords. He's just trying to turn the Avengers against each other. And because he's he is just fueled by good old fashioned vengeance. Something that Tony gets fueled by at the end of the movie. Something that um, we all get fueled by at some point, but uh, he also had some casualties in the Sokovia battle with Ultron. His father, his wife, his kids all died from the radius of the city coming down. They were outside of the city. He thought they'd be safe, and it just they, they took everything from him. You know, uh, Wanda could understand that. Um, you know, I don't even know who you are. Oh, you will. Um, well, Zemo makes it his personal mission to break up the Avengers, kind of like a band. Um, and he goes through all these. Uh, he 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 knows that Bucky Barnes is Captain America's kryptonite. Like this is the this is the guy that he's you know that's that's going to be the impetus of breaking uh, breaking this group up. Do what. <laughs> No, just continue. Okay. I'm a little... You're just very vague. That's the guy that he's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
<laughs> read into that what you will. Um, <laughs> so, so Zemo finds the uh, the trigger words for for Barnes to revert him back to his Winter Soldier phase. Uh, sets him on a rampage. Um, he doesn't care about the Scovia Accords. That, that I mean, he didn't have. I know some people kind of criticize, like, what what was his plan? If all those things had to go right for him, no, he was just gonna pit them against each other. If it wasn't for this, it would be something else. He would find a way to pit them against each other. Um, and once he does that, his mission's complete. Um, I, I felt like Zemo was a very, like, he's not really the front and center villain of this movie because the conflict is really centered around Tony versus Steve, Cap versus Iron Man. But in terms of villains who absolutely win the day, Zemo's up there. Yes, he got arrested, and he's in this little ridiculous lockup with uh, with uh, Everett K. Ross um, and the CIA, and um, he'll be returning in Falcon and the Winter Soldier that comes out now, next month in, on Disney+. Plus. But his goal was to split up the Avengers. His goal was to turn them against each other. He won. Mm-hmm. They never even laid a finger on him. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have to do anything. They fought themselves. And, I yeah. mean, so... Yeah. Well, I'd say like I really like him as a villain. Um, I like well, I feel like until you get the backstory, you kind of are like, okay, what's the, this guy's deal? But once you finally actually figure out like his motive for all this, he finally you know he acts he has a good motive. He's not just a bad guy. He's just a guy who lost his family because these people of negligence of some other people that were you know supposed to be heroes or whatever. Um, and I really like his character. Like going back and watching it now, knowing the full story before you get started, I appreciate him more than some of the other villains we get in other movies that are just big bads that come up and, you know, crazy fighting at the end. Like this guy was just a guy that was very hurt, that had he's lost everything, so now he has every bit of his focus goes into how do I destroy what they you know, what they've taken from me. How do I destroy them? Um, I don't know, I really just He's not like up there in my favorite, you know, villains of all time or anything, but I just feel like he's a good villain for this type of movie, especially. He's not flashy, um, and but the thing is, his arc is very relatable. I guarantee you, if Hydra had experimented on him with the Mind Stone, we could watch a show called Zemo Vision because he had everything taken from him, the same way Wanda did. Um, so he uh, he's he's a villain in the sense that he broke up our favorite heroes. But I get it. Yeah, it's interesting to me that he almost single-handedly sort of starts this snowball of what will become Infinity War and Endgame. Because there's no way to say if the Avengers had been a cohesive unit during Infinity War going into Endgame, what, what might have been different. And so... I will be interested to know in Falcon Winter Soldier if we get some backstory on what Zemo's been doing in the interim since Civil War, if he got snapped, if he didn't, you know, if he regrets what he did and how it caused a global catastrophe because he split up the Avengers. Like, I'm so interested to see because I don't think that they've really said in Falcon Winter Soldier that he's the villain. They've said he's back and we're assuming because he was a villain that he's a villain in Falcon Winter Soldier, but I'm thinking I don't know. he is just due to the fact that they do show that he has like his costume that he's known for in the comics of being a villain. 
at least it's shown. Now we know with Marvel they could literally do that and do it completely left turn whenever that actually oh, absolutely. starts. But right. you know, at least is it framing it up a little bit to be like we're going to get more out of this guy and see some more things. I mean, because he could have gone either way. He could have he said, first off, he could have been snapped, and all of a sudden, just now, is back. Or he could have literally sat in a prison and thought about how his plan did not work out, even as close as it got. Or just you know, even being in prison with other crazy people. Um, there's no telling where he could go from there, you know, and how much more darker or deeper he could get from that point. And see, I, I think he, I think he's going to be a supporting character in the show, but I don't think he's going to be the outright villain. I feel like I feel like the outright villain is going to be the U.S. government. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> because I feel like, especially after Here watching some of Wandavision, I feel like we're just going deep into. Okay, can't really trust these government agencies anymore. See a shield, see a sword, see a you know U.S. agent. I mean, well, I feel like a big part of, and I mean, not to go way off on to to that new show, but a lot of it's going to be figuring out becoming new Cap, becoming like right. how do I do this and now take on this mantle as well, um, as well. It's just the people expecting something out of it. Um, we don't have any explanation how the world knows about what or what the world knows about Steve Rogers at that point. Other, you know, we know what we know because we saw it there in Spider-Man. They think he's dead. Yeah. I mean, so there's tons of different things that, you know, they did it with comic sans, um, font too. Mm. Very high school of them. Yes. Um, well, speaking of dead, um, we'll jump into another character. (laughs) Um, what's his name? Uh, crossbones. Yeah. Rumlow. A lot of people, including myself, went into this movie saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is the possibility that Cap's going to die in this movie. I remember thinking that very strongly because, like, in the comics, Crossbones is the man that kills Captain America. Um, And so hearing that, knowing more that he's going to be there, I know that that was at least a lot talked about just because the guy was on set and somebody saw him. You did not know what story he was going to play. So for all we knew... Civil War itself was going to happen, but at the end of the movie, Cap was going to die. Like, just that was at least my mindset. I remember, um, just you know, I made a note today that it was during this time period that when new movies would come out, I was so much into the everyday looking up what you can find on these movies, what's on set, what's happening, what do we know, what's the behind the scenes stuff. And now I I try not to. Now I try to avoid that because I want to just go in the theater and enjoy it. But I remember, yeah, yeah, and I remember I went back today, and I recommend if you don't do it, just to go, you know, for the next couple Marvel movies, but go watch trailer reactions and like to see people that reacted to the trailer when they first came out, and it just brings back that whole feeling of this movie. Um, I watched a couple different ones today for this movie, and it just got me excited all over again, remembering like not knowing what was going to happen. And just all the excitement going into this movie. And so some of that did have me like thinking, you know, Cap may die in the end of this movie. Now, by the end of it, that's definitely not on my mindset or anything else. Um, but, and especially at the beginning of the movie, I said, there's nobody going to kill Cap at the beginning of this movie. And obviously they didn't. Um, but for technically, I guess we assume that Crossbones is dead. But there's always ramblings that somebody's going to come back. So there's possibly could come back. Who knows? It's comic book movies. Everyone, No one's truly dead. But... Um, I do like how strong they showed him as a character with everything else. Um, and just the actor, I really appreciate it this time more because I was watching, um, 
man, well, I can't think of the name of that show. Anyway, the MMA show that I've been watching that I finished War- on Netflix. Warrior? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. But um, but he was the main guy, and I honestly did not. I remember looking at him and be like, "Oh, he's the guy that played crossbones." Uh, but then doing more research into him and be like, "Oh, he's actually trained in fighting and trained in all these things." Just watching the movie, I had appreciation for him a little bit more this time around. Um, but I don't know. That was just kind of where I was at with that character. I did appreciate him coming in. I appreciated having that little bit of an arc because it made me think about comic books and what all this is based on to begin with. It made me think about these stories where people literally just start up and they're out fighting somebody and saving the day. Um, and that's just kind of what this was because we've only seen the big ones, but I would, you know, as time passed on, you would like to think there's probably other missions they've been on that probably weren't as big, but there was somebody bad and they stopped the day or stopped somebody from, you know, bombing something or something like that. Um, it just, it was nice to have this little bit of a story within a story. Right. To have like the big over, overall arcing, you know, of the whole movie. But you have this like, we're going to save the day from here at this beginning. Now, which it turns bad whenever, you know, Wanda accidentally blows up a building because of him. Well, and let's, but, let's, let's talk about Wanda. I mean, because this. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Yeah. I mean, she, um, you know, we'll talk a little more about her when we get to her show, WandaVision. But um, this is her second appearance, or technically third, because she was in a uh, post credit scene in Age of Ultron. Or not Age of Ultron, but uh, Winter Soldier. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is her f- first appearance with the team uh, on a mission. And she messes up, you know, and she does something that she did not mean to do. And we mm-hmm. see that it really affects her in this movie. You know, she's watching the news and seeing what people are saying about her. Um, you know, Tony made reference, you know, she's you know, she's a Sokovian national. They don't give out visas to weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> you know, I know she's a kid, but come on. Um, but she she's trying to find her way in this world with her crazy powers. And, and we see as the MCU goes on just how much this incident affects her. Um, clearly, I mean, WandaVision hasn't wrapped up its run, but there's a very clear reference to the uh, incident in Lagos, Nigeria, in episode three of uh, WandaVision, you know, where she uh, it, there's a little commercial that talks about Lagos paper towels when you make a mess that you didn't mean to, to make. And uh, mm-hmm. that's something she's still suppressing. So uh, it's, just, it's really interesting to see, you know, her arc, you know, is just beginning in this movie. You know, for- also, I really loved the foreshadowing and not to give away anything from Wanda Vision, even though we said we would talk about spoilers. spoilers. But this is the first time in this movie, and I totally forgot about it, that Wanda, that we see that Wanda's powers can trump what Vision can do. She yes. controls mm-hmm. him. Yes. Like she buries him. Yes. Literally. Literally she puts buries him. him. <laughs> right. So I totally forgot that. And, you know, he's supposed to be almost this sort of like omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipowerful, whatever. He's worthy. He can hold Molnir, Mew Mew. Right. You know, and so, and he literally has an infinity stone in his head and she bests him. And so I, I totally forgot about that scene when I was rewatching Civil War and it brought up all of the stuff that we're starting to see with what the limits of Wanda's power are Mm -hmm. in the WandaVision show. And if there are limits, and I just thought that was super interesting. We also see the beginning of her relationship with vision here, where vision goes to Wanda's aid and side. 
and which prevents him from saving Rhodey, who he right. inadvertently blasted out of the sky. Um, right. You know, just so we see, you know, again, it's just really fun to see those first steps um, grow into the next, you know, how we've had Tony at this point for eight years. We've had Cap right. for five or six years at this point. Wanda, right. we've only had for a couple of years. Vision, we've only had for a couple of years. And their arcs were just starting, and we're seeing those arcs continue on even to this present day. So I thought that was very interesting as well. Yeah. Um, I want, before we, um, I, I, we have a section here where we're talking about other characters, like just returning characters. Um, I want to touch base just briefly on Thunderbolt Ross. What a jerk. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I don't like him. I <laughs> just like it. How does this guy who's, you know, his first appearance was in the incredible Hulk um, where he is trying mm-hmm. to capture Bruce Banner. He's, you know, creates another, you know, abomination is what, you know, we call him. Um, like he, they go to him to try to like, so they won't put abomination on the Avengers team in one of these post credit scenes. How does he end up as secretary of state? politics man president matthew ellis do a bad better policy. job that's terrible bad policy i just want to go ahead and say he's a jerk <laughs> and he continues to be a jerk and when we get to end game i have thoughts on him showing up at tony's funeral just saying look not every <laughs> administration is made of winners what can i say mm-hmm. very few of them are um, not to pile everybody else into a group to move forward but something i will say is i really like how they did this movie how they add in you this is the first time we've ever seen a movie with this many superheroes in it. Um, I remember just first off from a real world standpoint, just the money that it would take to pay all these actors or actresses or whatever, but more so just how do you include this movie without it being too much of a, you know, a billion hour movie because all the arcs and all the people and all the things you got to deal with. Um, it was neat to see that they take the two main people that literally this is, you know, Captain America and Iron Man, and then the other people that fall on their sides. And it doesn't belittle those people. It's just, we're going to focus on these two main arcs. We're also going to tell you and allow you to dive deeper into, you know, Wanda and Vision and the things they're dealing with. But they also bring in people like Ant-Man and Black Panther and Spider-Man and all the other characters, Hawkeye, other people, that you get enough of a story from them, especially more so, you know, Black Panther. This is his big introduction to yeah, us. Yeah, this, this is his introduction. Uh, him and Peter Parker into the MCU. But, like, if you think of Ant-Man, they could have made a big ordeal where we've got to figure out this big thing of how he comes to be. But they're like, no, we're going to put him in a, a van, let him be sleeping, and just say, like, hey, I met you on the roof. I know you are. Like, there is this other guy that could help us out. And he's the same way that Spider-Man is just doing, is there because Tony said to be there and I need you to have my back. Ant-Man's the same way that he's like, okay, you know, I'm not used to being on the side of the law much anyway. I know you know a lot of super-powered people, so thanks for thinking of me. So he just shows up just glad to be there. And I really like that, though, because it's you get that side of him. You don't feel that he's not, you know, a good character or superhero or powerful or anything else. Because he has his scenes where he really shows off his powers, but they don't go way off, you know, to tell you some giant story of how he got there. They just let it be and go with it. Um, and they did a good job with it. And so I feel like that's how this movie is with a lot of characters, where they're able to bring them in. Um, and they do have their moments, same way where, you know, you've got Black Widow that has a lot more moments with Steve and just the communication side of things where you get enough of them, but we don't have to have a billion other stories going on behind 
the main thing. I love how they introduced Black Panther and Spider-Man in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the movie's strengths. Um, With Spider-Man, this is his big big introduction in the MCU. Uh, We had already had two movie series from Sony, one starring Tobey Maguire, the other starring Andrew Garfield. We've seen the Uncle Ben story a million times over. And We've here, seen the spider bite thing the same yeah. way, how he gets his powers. They just and, go with and it. And here they're just like, hey, I've had th- these powers for six months. You know, when you have, when you can do the things I can do and you don't do them and then something bad happens, that's on you. Like, they, they just jump right into it. Um, I love, you know, it's he's not a focus of this movie, but he is a – he is an additional part that makes the movie stronger. The same thing with uh, Chadwick Boseman. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, Ashby, chef's kiss. Mm. I mean, just, I I love yes. Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman yes. so much. Um, I'm. It devastated me to hear of his passing at the end of August mm-hmm. last year. Um, yeah. And I think he was the perfect person to bring uh, T'Challa to life in For this sure. movie. And... You know, he's he's learning on the go. I mean, he's already, like, he, you know, his father is, the you know, the king during this movie until that explosion, and he has to take it the mantle right away. And he's learning how to to go about his, you know, like, he his first instinct is vengeance, the same way it was for Baron Zemo or Helmont Zemo. And he learns that, you know, hey, vengeance is tearing everyone apart. It's not, I'm going to stop it. You know, we're, we're not, there's going to be no more bloodshed today. Um, it's it's a beautiful. Just he does such a great job uh, in that role. I thought it was a really interesting choice to sort of take the Peter Parker and T'Challa storylines and almost do like an in medias Raz in the middle of Civil War. You know, like you're literally coming into these new characters in the middle of a of a the plot of their own stories. And I think it gives a lot of respect to the viewer that, that they knew that we were going to come into it with some background. And I think if you allow the viewer that sort of, you know, intelligence and viewing and you make some assumptions and then you sort of start from where, you know, almost like in, in the middle, then it it feels like we're meeting fully flush out characters, yes. you know, and then we got origin story kind of movies after Civil War on both of those characters, which I thought was genius. You know, I think that the the knee jerk reaction would to say, OK, if we're going to have Black Panther and Spider-Man in Civil War, then we have to give them Black Panther and Spider-Man one before civil war but they didn't do that and i thought it was super interesting and i really liked the way that civil war kicked off those two like storylines you know, it was really interesting to me people forget or maybe they don't but I, I'm, I'm gonna bring it up but there was another superhero movie that came out two months prior to this that promoted two heroes fighting each other it was batman versus superman dawn of justice um and that movie failed in a lot of ways like they also tried to introduce future heroes to right. their in- universe. They succeeded with with uh, with Wonder Woman, um, but there was just literally one scene where Bruce Wayne is looking at 
these files. I don't know. I can't remember how he got his hands on these files. I think maybe Lex Luthor had like files on all these other powered individuals where you see the flash running around you see cyborg and you see um, Aquaman doing stuff. And it's like, that was very blatant attempts to try to set up future movies in that universe. And then you compare it to what Marvel did here. And they're like, yes, we're also trying to introduce new heroes to this universe, but it's more organic. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's more show and not tell. Um, it's, I mean, I think it was really well done and to jump, you know, unless we have other things we want to talk about with characters, it's one of the best things that worked about this movie. Um, just, you know, how there were so many characters brought into this movie, the Russo brothers, their prior other prior movie in the MCU was winter soldier where they had to deal with a few characters, but here they're dealing with legitimately 12 superheroes plus some side characters plus a villain. I mean, just, I mean, they're just, and they, they managed it so well. I mean, you, you knew who the, who the spotlight was on, but every part played a legitimate role in this movie. No, no part was wasted um, with the casting, even if it's like, you know, a minor role with like, like Jeremy Renner coming in as Hawkeye. Okay. We, he comes back for Team Cap. I think he comes back for Wanda. Not, not, not necessarily for Cap, but he to an allegiance for Wanda because he feels indebted yes. to her brother for saving his life in Ultron. That fits thematically. Um, yes. You have uh, Scott Lang, who has the experience with Sam in Ant-Man. You know, that fits. Um, mm-hmm. Peter, you know, that thing, Peter coming in with Tony, that's the only thing that I can maybe say is a nitpick that may not fit. But it I mean, Tony... He would have his. Right. He would have tabs on others in the area, or right. others in the world who were doing what he's trying to do. Uh, so I guess it does make sense. It's the only thing that you know you kind of have to maybe stretch to make it fit. But overall, everything fits really, really well. And right. I mean, it's obvious that Rhodey's going to side with Tony. Sam is going to side with Cap. Natasha is going to play both sides. Everything fits right. thematically, and I think that's one of the things yeah. that works really well about this movie. Agreed. All so we moved there. into what worked best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a good. Uh, yeah. yeah, all the mine, my big one that I'd had honestly is what we've already talked about was just the fact of being able to include so many characters into a movie and not being overwhelmed and having to stop. I feel like that was something I had. You know, as you go into Justice League or some other movies, or even Batman or Superman, is there was so much. There's so many characters, so we've got to make sure we stop what we're doing and go over here and give them their time to be who they are and then come back. Right. And then go over here and tell this side, this story that's happening, instead of allowing them all to just exist and taking your two people or two, you know, the main story and then allowing others to exist in that. Um, Right. I think that's And again, I I do think that goes back to Marvel having a lot of faith in the ability of the audience to just sort of go with it mm-hmm. um, and not having to spoon feed us everything. So I definitely credit them with that. Mm-hmm. I'll even say like, and I brought this up for Avengers and I think even for Avengers Ultron, we're getting deep into the MCU film lineup at this point. Mm-hmm. But even with this movie, I don't think you've had to have seen any other movie to really no. watch this movie and enjoy it for what it is. Yes. It, having watched the previous 12 movies would, would have helped, I'm sure. Right. But they give plenty of exposition to why, you know, you you know you have heroes. Um, you know why there's a conflict. 
They explain all the stuff that happens in the other films with New York, with DC, with Lagos, with Sokovia. Um, I think I think that's another thing that works well about this movie is you could have come in as a new fan and watched this movie on its own, and I think it still would have been enjoyable. Yeah. And that's going to be um, harder and harder to do as Marvel goes through the through their big right. team ups. I don't know if you could say the same thing about Infinity War Endgame, but it's a testament to the fact that there's thir- this is the thirteenth movie in the MCU, and you can still watch it without having seen any of the other movies and still enjoy it. Yeah, I had a few um, what I thought worked work best they all sort of go together though the stunt work in this movie is incredible incredible um i thought it was really interesting to consider in the chase how quickly steve and bucky and t'challa are running that Mm -hmm. they're running past moving cars like just to think about their speed and strength um i thought that was really well done to sort of highlight all three of their abilities in this chase and hats off to Sebastian Stan specifically and the stunt team for how masterfully they change Bucky's fighting style mm-hmm. when he's Bucky Barnes and when he's the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. It's very clear, you know, when he's in, I'm Bucky Barnes and I'm trying to get away, but I don't want to hurt anyone or at least kill anyone, maybe like accidentally permanently maim. Um, and then I'm the Winter Soldier, and I don't care who gets in my way. I will literally murder you. And mm-hmm. so those are two very different fighting styles and mindsets, and I think they do a really good job of switching it up, especially since he kind of moves from one to the other in this movie. Um, and then also I really loved how they managed the humor and the gravitas in the airport scene. Yes. It works seamlessly. It's a very serious moment and a very serious thing is taking place. Um, but the hu- they keep the humor in it and each character gets to have their own brand of humor and each character gets to have sort of a more serious moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't disregard the relationships, you know, when like uh, Clint and Natasha are fighting and they're like literally we, choke holding one another. Like, are we friends, still friends? Right? Depends on how hard you hit me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, see, you know, I, and I, then Wanda just like slams her up against something. And is like you're pulling your punches. <laughs> well, see, and I love that you know that scene in general because it's yes, they're going at each other, but they're not trying to kill each other because we know they right. they could all absolutely kill each other if they yes. really wanted to. And we kind of saw later on when you see Tony and Steve go at it when they're really going at it, they weren't really going at it at the airport. They're just trying to make a half-hearted attempt to stop each other without hurting each other. There's one spot that made me question it, though, because I was very much on the same mindset um, to see how they're fighting to fight but not necessarily to kill each other. We don't know Spider-Man for Jack at this point, and Captain America drops, like, is it a bus or a plane on top of him? <laughs> and he holds it There's up, and he's like, about that, that I can't share because that's Where are you from, yeah. kid? Hilarious. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> I mean, they go back and forth, but it, like at this point, all you know is this guy is acrobatic and he can shoot webs. You have no clue that this man can hold an entire plane or bus or whatever it was over his head. Right. Um. So he could have died in that, but yeah, at the for same sure. time, for like, sure. Yeah. I don't think that's Cap's motive per se, but at the same time, like Spider Man could have got squashed after five minutes and never. Well, look, I also think that Tony's being a little duplicitous in this scene mm-hmm. because they all ask at one point, like, how old how this old kid is. This kid? I, I didn't, didn't carbon date he's him. like, I didn't carbon date him. Tony knows exactly how old Peter is, and For he sure. knows that if he told any other member of either of those teams that he had a 15 year old child fighting on the battlefield, that they would all be royally pissed at him, including uh, Rhodey. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> 
He's on the young side. <laughs> yeah, he's on the young side. He's like, remember that really old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things I really love about this movie is not only the things that it pays off, you know, like we see callbacks from previous movies. I can do this all day. Um, little shout out. But it also um, foreshadows events to happen in the future. And one that specifically you know, stood out to me was, um, at, I think it was the airport scene where Cap and T'Challa are running at each other. And then you contrast that with Infinity War, they're running side by side. Like, Mm -hmm. just little things like that. I don't know if that was intentional, but it's something that stuck out to me is like, here they're going at each other. And you even mentioned the, um, the car chase scene where they're, they're, they're running in the same direction, but they're chasing after each other. And then they come together running side by side. I really enjoyed the symbolism and the, Maybe that was not in, unintentional. Maybe it was intentional callback there. But. Well, even their relationship by the end of this movie, like the two the relationship they share. And I mean, it even goes back to something as simple as Cap Shield is made of vibranium and vibranium comes from where Black Panther is from. And so his whole suit is made out of it. Um, so the fact is, I, not to jump all around, but there's something I really love about Black Panther and that character that he's not involved in this really honestly there's a third side where there's team iron man team cap and then there's just black panther that wants to kill bucky because of what he thinks has happened overall he's very level-headed and by the time that the movie's over or at the end you know he realizes the truth of everything and he doesn't just say okay we'll forget you all then like you're not my concern he's still involved in this he wants to help with whatever like you know to be right there with cap at the end of the movie um he could have easily just okay well forget this i realized that you necessarily did not kill my dad this is what happened right. we'll move forward forget it i'll go be king now but instead he still tries to help this person another favorite right hi we haven't met i'm clint i don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> but then that's referenced in endgame clint give it to me mm-hmm. <laughs> where he does yeah. learn something just I, yeah. I i love the callbacks i love mm-hmm. the you know the foreshadowing to future events and how they the, everything gets called back and everything's connected i just i love it so yes. nitpicks yes i jumped okay, in so fast nitpicks. nitpicks you got nitpicks. any um i have a really big nitpick that's Let's i don't i didn't know if i should put it in nitpicks or character arcs or unanswered questions uh, we've yeah. started so, so let's throw it right here go for it Okay, so th- one of the biggest quotes in this movie was, you know, he's my friend. So, so was I. I. I have a little bit of a problem with this. I, mm, I don't know. So the friendship between Steve and Tony, I think personally, is an example of one thing Marvel got wrong. Because I think that they didn't put quite enough in the bank screen time wise before they expected us to have an emotional payout to buy into this movie. And I, I just don't, I don't buy it. I mean, maybe on the surface, yes. Friendship, you know, Steve and Tony were comrades. They were, you know, fighting together. They were acquaintances. They were coworkers. Um, They hung out socially But you look at, up until this point, some of the relationship arcs, Sam and Steve, Natasha and Steve, Tony and Rhodey, and to compare what Steve and Bucky have, which has been a three-movie arc that has been very specifically built by the MCU 
to be this big payout for why Steve is doing everything he's doing in this movie. And then to compare that history and that friendship and that sense of like familiarization and history between Steve and Bucky to what Steve and Tony have, that's nothing. It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket, you know? Like that's like saying that this new girl that I met at college that's my roommate that I've been friends with for a year is just like this girl that's been my friend since I was two and we grew up together and we went to every school we've ever been to together. And I mean, there's just... I just can't, I can't buy into it, you know? And I think that Marvel was banking on a lot of the comic book storylines carrying through for viewers because there are storylines in specific comics where Steve and Tony are really good friends and the Avengers are built around their, their bond with each other. Um, But it's just not, it's not on the screen. I'm sorry. It's not like, they barely get along up until age of Ultron and then they still kind of don't get along. Um, And I look at the trust that Steve and Natasha have built. And I look at the camaraderie that Steve and Sam have built and Tony doesn't even come close. Like I'm, I'm sorry. He doesn't. I think that's, um, I think that's a legitimate nitpick. I, I really do. Um, I also think that the fact that they aren't super, super close is the reason there's a falling out. Right. Um, so I, I think, I don't think you can compare the, those relationships. I think their relationship has been contentious from the beginning. Um, it continues to be contentious as the movies move forward. Um, it was contentious in Age of Ultron. It was contentious in Avengers. It was, and it's contentious here. Um I think there is a level of friendship there, but it's like a level, like, I don't think, I think it's a level of friendship, like, think like a coworker. Okay. Like, right. like there are, there are people I have worked with who I love dearly and I've had to, you know, I've had their back and they've had my back, but the moment we don't work together anymore, like we just don't see each other anymore because, you know, we were friends, but we weren't like BFFs, if that makes right. sense. And right. I think Tony and Cap are kind of like in that realm of friends. Like, yeah, they're friends because they work each other and they have to have their six and they have to have their backs and all that other stuff. But they're not like, you know, forever best friends type thing. Well, I think it was one of those moments, too, is it doesn't necessarily. I don't think I ever viewed it as to say like their friendship was as good as Cap and Bucky's or to put it in the same ballpark. I think it's just one of those emotional things to throw out there in a line in a very heated moment. Somewhat, even if you weren't fighting, but you were having a, you know, a, you're not physically fighting, but like an actual fight, you know, where you're arguing with each other. And just to throw out there, like, you know, we were friends too. Like, just to put it in a past tense thing, to say that you are no longer friends at this point. Um, right. And I think that's how I took it. I totally get what you're saying, and I don't think you're wrong at all with that. I definitely think... Um, we just assume that they are friends because they work together and they know each other. There's no history there. We don't get the screen time or the in-depthness there. There could be, but like you say, that's all assumption. Um, for me, that's how I took that line. 
And seeing it in the trailer, I remember it hitting a little bit harder than what it did in the movie. Because I feel like it was one of those moments out of nowhere when that line comes out, you're like, oh, God. And then, because you don't have all the story or anything else, but it's a big, the first time you hear it, it's definitely like, oh, man, that hits hard in the heart. Um, But I definitely think it's more of a line that's thrown out there just to say, like, well, we were friends, too. But yeah, I no think because are. it was used in the trailer, I think a lot of fans gave it a little bit more gravitas sure, than I it totally was supposed to have. And so I, I really think it was, you know, just a, a throwaway line that Tony was saying, like, you know, yeah, I get that he's your friend, but so was I. And you lied to me about how my parents died. And, you know, now you're fighting me. And like, mm. I think that that Tony really is just sort of saying, like, you know, we we were also friends i don't think he's saying like you, you know you should care about me or our friendship should have more weight than your friendship sure. with bucky but i feel like because that line was used in the trailer it was meant to build this like big rendering of this massive friendship between captain america and iron man and I just don't, I don't feel like, I think that Marvel expected it to have more weight, which is why mm. they used it in the trailer. Right. And I just don't think, I, I think that Tony and Steve should have had more positive screen time for that to weigh heavier. Right. I think it's a legitimate nitpick for sure. True. Sure. Uh, any other nitpicks? No? Mm, the kiss. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's, um, <laughs> Steve <laughs> I have so many problems with it so many problems with that we don't uh, have to get into it let's, let's, yeah <laughs> I think that says it all I think that says it all as yeah, well yeah uh, let's go to Mo- un- moving on let's moving go on. to unanswered questions because we're, we're already on like an hour and 20 here or an hour 15 minutes on the podcast and we've still got two whole sections to get through uh, unanswered, so, uh, unanswered questions this is really mine's really short, so we can go ahead and just do mine. Cool. Um, Rumlow said Bucky, and all of a sudden I was a sixteen-year-old kid again in Brooklyn. Also, as a quote from Steve, also one of Bucky's trigger words is seventeen. So what happened the year that they were both those age ages that made it so memorable for the both of them? Interesting. Like what happened in their friendship the year that Bucky was seventeen and Steve was sixteen? Interesting. That's a good question. Kyle? I didn't have any. Um, Nothing that stood out, at least. Uh, some of mine are minor, and there's a major question here that we don't have to necessarily answer, but I'm putting it out there because I think we will get into it at a future movie. Uh, first question, are Everett K. Ross and Thunderbolt Ross related in any way? Just I wondered that, too. Like, mm. It's kind of weird that you have, or is this one of the situations where everyone's just named Peter? Like, you mm. know, Peter Quill, Peter Parker, I mean... Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Steve Rogers, Stephen Strange, you know, just everyone having similar names. Um, who texts Captain America to let him know that Peggy died? Like, everyone that he knows is sitting in that room. Did he get a text? Um, I just assumed maybe yeah. it was, like, uh, someone. Because I think that it was pretty clear in Winter Soldier, maybe, that he had been visiting her a yeah. lot. And so yeah. I assumed it was someone at the home. Right. Um, you know. And then the the big one. Who did Peggy Carter marry? We don't have to answer that here. No. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I do have a theory that it's not Steve Rogers. I mean, I have a headcanon that 
it absolutely isn't Steve Rogers. Yeah, so. I, I have a theory that it's not Steve Rogers, and we can get into it when we get to Endgame. But okay. the more and more I thought about it over the year, I over the past year since Endgame has come out, uh, almost two years now, I think I have found something that works in my head that actually works well in the movies to where this version of Peggy Carter did not marry Steve Rogers. So. Okay. Not to go off. Okay. Not to carry on with much of either of that, oh, but boy. there's a picture that made its way around the internet, or at least you know a clip talking about how Tony or Steve ends up going back in time at the end. Um, there's always this picture shown the at Peggy's funeral whenever they're carrying her. You know, Steve's at the front right, but there's this old man on the back left, and they're like circled to say like, "Is this old Steve helping carry the casket?" No. And it's no, I don't think it is, but it's the first time like seeing it, seeing the movie since to look at it and like all of a sudden in context be like, oh, I wonder if it could be like, you know, I don't think it would it'd be odd. There's two of them standing side by side each other. Uh, but just in your mind, it's the first time actually seeing the movie other than, you know, somebody just showing like a picture and circling a head. Like it's the first time you see that person walking. Down Look, I give the MCU credit for a lot, but I'm sorry. They mm. were not thinking that far ahead. No. I think they made a poor choice at the end of Endgame and they have to live with it. They mm. were not considering old Steve at Civil War yeah. filming time. No, no, no. I don't think so either. It was just the first time seeing it, it stood out to me. I don't necessarily think they made a poor choice, but I don't think, like I said, I don't think, the Steve that went back in time to spend with Peggy, I don't think those that timeline and the current timeline are the same. So, I, it's going to be really interesting to me how they handle that in Cap in um, Falcon Winter Soldier because technically Steve is alive and Bucky and Sam are out doing their thing and like where is Steve in an old folks home in a wheelchair with a blanket over mm -hmm. his lap looking like Joe Biden? I don't know. Shuffleboard. Mm -hmm. Shuffleboard. It's a poor choice. It's a I still think it's champion. a poor choice. No. It just. We can get into Steve's that. not supposed when, to age. When we, we can get talk to about Endgame that in yeah. November, we can talk about it. We have a whole other section. Ah, right, so. Anyway, okay. Random section. Anything you want to add? Favorite theory, rabbit hole, <laughs> Tumblr submissions? I have one thing from Tumblr. Okay. And it's a little quote that someone posted. And it says, Bruh, I was Googling presidents because I don't know how to normal. And I found out that James Buchanan Barnes, or sorry, James Buchanan is often considered the worst president for his inept leadership during the leading up to the Civil War. Excuse me? This is the height of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a note because I wanted to mention this. And usually I'm the guy that's very much... I want real people. The CGI ruined this for me. Like I talked about it last week and wonder woman, how the ending it just messed it up for me. The CGI in this movie is amazing. I loved it. Uh, the, what they do with Tony at the beginning where he's young, Tony, there's not a moment in that, that I'm like, Oh, they just aged him down. I'm watching that. And it's right. like, this is a flashback. This is old Tony. Turns out it's not, but just like, or that does it so well that I'm just drawn right into it. Also, the fact of most of the fighting is still very much, as you mentioned earlier, like the stunt team, the fighting teams, everybody worked really hard. Now, there's tons of CGI mixed in that and then in the background and then how characters are doing other things and growing and everything else. But it's done so much mixed in where there's still, and the whole airport is CGI. Like if you go back and see like, you know, behind the scenes, they're literally one giant green thing with some random airport props around. But mm -hmm. there's not a second that I don't think they're in an airport. Like, hangar, you know, they rented out some airport to put this scene in there. Um, they're fighting each other. Everything's happening. Versus how in Wonder Woman or some of these, you know, even, you know, Batman versus Superman, 
the whole world just gets really dark and everything's on fire and there's just some giant thing happening. Um, this movie, like especially that giant scene right there, there's so many things CGI related, but there's not a second that I'm ever taken out of the movie. Like they literally CGI'd the entire environment, but it's still sunny. It's still bright. Everything's happening. It looks like an airport. Um, mm-hmm. I just loved the CGI and that I wanted to make sure because so often I'm like, Oh, it took me right out of the movie or it led me up to this. And then it kind of dropped it for me. For me, the yep. CGI in this is really good. I will make note. There is the moments where we're seeing, you know, Iron Man now where, you know, he doesn't, or Robert Downey Jr. doesn't wear the full outfits anymore during these movies. Um, so there's at least one or two scenes, like the whole underoos scene, you see his head and it looks like his head's just not quite, something's not right. We're like in mixed in with the suit, you know, but it doesn't ruin it for me. Like it's not something horrible. Like I don't want to pretend that everything's perfect. Like there's definitely that moment where you're like, his head looks a little weird like right now versus in some of the older movies where he literally is wearing a giant costume and it's, you know, just has the face of the helmet off or whatever. But, um, I just really, I enjoyed the CGI. I feel like it was worth noting. What's your, what, what moment? I coughed out and put the whole movie question mark. That's fair. <laughs> I've got two. All right. The first one honestly happened to me because I went back today, as I mentioned, and watched trailer reactions. So this first hits me in the trailer, but the Spider-Man scene. Um, I couldn't remember because I remember, like I said, I was the one going back and searching everything and trying to find spoilers back in the day. I think it was released at a Comic-Con first. Um, and it was one of those that all phones were supposed to be off everything else, but of course somebody got it and it leaked out on the internet, but it was very much a, I'm filming this down from like my side and it's kind of there, but it's definitely not great film or whatever. Um, but I remember seeing that for the first time and just really like getting excited. Um, Spider-Man, especially growing up as a kid where Spider-Man was on all these cartoons. He was one of the main characters you grew up knowing aside from Batman and X-Men, um, to see and especially knowing the battle that went back and forth between Sony and Marvel, not knowing if it was going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen. You will never see him in the same universe to all of a sudden, this is the first time there was an agreement with another company to allow a character to be in the movie. Um, other, I guess than technically the Hulk or whatever, but, um, just seeing him all of a sudden be there just opened up so many things for me and like what this could happen and what could be in the future. Um, so that was my big one. Uh, but also, Coming to the realization fully of that Bucky killed Tony's parents. Um, I know we had hints and stuff before and everything else. Um, but just, I guess, to the moment that Tony found out. More so, you know, watching that and how they did that scene where it was very, like, visual. It wasn't just some, like, oh. Very visceral reaction to it. Yes. And then just to see it. Yeah. And you realize, like, in that moment, like, everything changes from here. Like this it's super horrifying. It is. And like to see how that happens, like I'm not gonna say it's a what the what is an excitement, but it was very an emotional reaction where all of a sudden I'm like my stomach right. like hit the floor where I'm just like, Oh my god, this is horrible and moving yeah. like how how do you move forward from here, type deal? Yeah. Mine was giant man. No, that was great too. And my reaction was the same as Peter Parker's. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like Oh, man. I never so know funny. if they were going to do it. That was literally, I didn't know anything about Ant-Man before these movies. Like, I knew he existed, but I knew that there was, like, a giant man that I think his name was Tiny Ant-Man. Tiny Man's big now. Tiny Man's big yeah. now. <laughs> and yeah. so, all of a sudden, to see that and to see it play out was just amazing to see in a theater. Cool, cool, cool. Um, going back really quick to mm-hmm. the 
the scene in the bunker, it's so well acted. Like the way the actors use their facial expressions, you know, not just um, Tony, but Steve and Bucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bucky knows what he's watching. And I think one of the the most, you know, like upsetting, I guess, lines for me is when Tony's like, do you even remember them? And Bucky says, I, I remember, remember all, all of them, them. Mm-hmm. which which we now know because we it was it was sort of unknown going into Civil War. You know, we had just had the big reveal in Winter Soldier that Bucky was the, the Winter Soldier, and we didn't know exiting that movie what he remembered, you know, if he knew that he was Bucky Barnes, if he had memories, if he only had, you know, sort of snippets, if he remembered being the Winter Soldier, if he was some kind of weird blank slate where he didn't have Bucky memories and he didn't have Winter Soldier memories. And, you know, if everything he knows about being Bucky Barnes, he learned from a museum exhibit, like there were a lot of question marks. And I think there are still a lot of question marks, even going into Falcon Winter Soldier about Bucky's mindscape. But at least now we know, unfortunately, that he remembers what he was made to do as the Winter Soldier. And I think, that that's horrifying. Sure. Um, and we kind of, we got, you know, confirmation of that in this movie. Well, I think that speaks volumes too, where his decision at the end of the movie to go mm-hmm. back under the cryogen thing or whatever, until they can try to figure out how to help him, you know, mentally move forward to realize, I guess I didn't compare it or like think that together, but to know that that's constantly in your mind that at any given point, you could be doing these things again if somebody else just got control of your mind and it's in there and built inside right. of you. Um, so I can imagine like if you're given the choice to continue to worry with that or just say, put me back in this until you can try to work and figure this out. Like it's a big, it's a bold step to be willing to do it, but also yeah. knowing that like at any given moment you could be doing this again and having to kill people, hurt people. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a big one. Okay. In every episode of our Running the Infinity Gauntlet series, we are taking a look at a vital piece of the MCU that helped shape the Infinity Saga. With that in mind, let's assemble together at the raft. Eric, teach us what we need to know about the comics canon that inspired this movie and the Sokovia Accords. I like to think that I'm the one in the straitjacket here (laughs) if we're (laughs) in the raft, (laughs) but... Who knows? Definitely. In 2006, 2007, a seven-issue limited series crossover story premiered called Civil War. The plot of the series followed a framework storyline in which the U.S. government passes a superhero registration act designed to have superpowered individuals act under official regulation, somewhat akin to law enforcement. However, superheroes opposed to the act led by Captain America find themselves in conflict with those who support it, led by Iron Man, with Spider-Man caught in the middle. The X-Men take a neutral stance. The superheroes in support of the law, such as Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, and Ms. Marvel, become increasingly authoritarian. The conflict between freedom and security is an underlying theme in the storyline, with real-life events and discussions, such as the U.S. government's increased surveillance of its citizens, serving as a backdrop for the events in Civil War. In the comics, the Superhero Registration Act becomes law after the New Warriors, a C-list you know, kind of group of superheroes, who were filming their exploits for a reality TV show, battled a group of villains, including one named Nitro. He exploded, killing the majority of those heroes and destroying a nearby school, killing 600 people, including school children. Tough look for the new warriors. This propelled the push for there to be oversight, especially when a grieving mother confronts Tony Stark at her child's funeral. 
The Superhero Registration Act is the inspiration behind the MCU's Sokovia Accords. The United Nations sought to pass a set of regulations and laws legislating the deployment of powered individuals after public opinion of the Avengers began to worsen following the events in New York, D.C., Sokovia, and Lagos, Nigeria. The Sokovia Accords were approved by 117 countries, and it states that the Avengers shall no longer be a private organization. Instead, they will operate under the supervision of a United Nations panel only when and if that panel deems it necessary. As we see in the movie and in the comics, opinions are split on both sides of the Avengers and superhero lines. For those superpowered individuals who do not sign the Accords, according to Thunderbolt, Ru- Thunderbolt Ross, they retire. The Sokovia Accords played a role in the MCU moving forward, and they also played a role in the Marvel Television Universe and the tie-in comics as well. In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., S.H.I.E.L.D. officially didn't exist anymore following the events of HYDRA um, and the Winter Soldier uh, coming to fruition. However, it continued to secretly operate as a black ops division under President Matthew Ellis' administration. When the accords were ratified by the U.S. government, President Ellis sent General Glenn Talbot to speak with Phil Coulson about registering all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s undocumented enhanced assets, mainly the inhuman operatives such as Daisy Johnson and Yo-Yo Rodriguez, because that was required by the accords. Talbot and Coulson had a discussion about the rightfulness of the accords themselves compared to the index of superhumans once used by S.H.I.E.L.D., and eventually they regretted. However, Talbot revealed to Ellis the location of what they called the playground, and under the leadership of Jeffrey Mace, who was appointed by President Ellis himself, S.H.I.E.L.D. accepted the Accords and therefore became legal again starting in Season 4. The Accords make a brief appearance in Avenger of, of, in, uh, Infinity War as well, when Secretary Ross orders Rhodey to arrest the fugitive Avengers, who arrive in New York to help with the threat of Thanos. Come on, Ross, read the room. <laughs> don't, don't arrest the guys who are here to help. Uh, Rhodey just ignored those orders. You know, he'll, he'll take the court-martial. Why not? The Accords are also mentioned in the Phase 4 MCU show WandaVision as footage of Wanda Maximoff seemingly stealing the body of Vision from S.W.O.R.D. was noted as a violation of the Sokovia Accords. They look to continue to play a part in the MCU, but it's not known uh, at this time if the Avengers who were operating under Natasha Romanoff in Endgame had to sign the Accords to work for her. There's a little gray area how the Accords worked in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame. So there's the Sokovia Accords for you. So, question. You you like cats? <laughs> Let's slip on the Infinity Gauntlet. Let's just ignore that conversation. Let's share nine fun facts and observations. Kyle, would you like to go first, please? Sure. Uh, the day before filming a fight scene with Robert Downey Jr., Sebastian Stan sent him a video of himself doing intense bicep curls in front of a decapitated head of an Iron Man suit. He attached the message, looking forward to our scene tomorrow, Robert. Are you sure you didn't steal Ashby's list there? I was wondering, but. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, so this, sadly, is not canon, but it's still a hilarious side story that answers the question that Thunderbolt Ross I had to Steve Rogers, do you even know where Thor and Bruce Banner are? Whose side was Thor on? Well, obviously he was on Team Thor. In a series of hilarious mockumentary-style videos first released on YouTube and then included as extras on Thor, Ragnarok's DVD, Blu-ray, and Disney Plus releases, we see Thor take a break in Australia, gain a roommate named Daryl, and he's interviewed by a documentary crew. And in the videos, we see so many hilarious things. We see Daryl attempt to vacuum around Mjolnir, or Mew Mew. 
Thor visiting a kindergarten class. And who is this purple weirdo? Vision! I'm surprised you knew who that actually was. Thor interrupting Daryl at work, where Daryl can help Thor craft an electronic letter to Iron Man and Captain America, where Thor wants to offer his help and services. Dear Tony Stark, how's it going? I heard you and Captain America are having some relationship problems. Dear Captain America, do you remember that time I goaded you into killing those prisoners and you made me swear not to tell the other Avengers? If there's any other secrets you need to keep, let me know, because I'm not up to much at the moment. We see where (laughs) Mjolnir takes a nap uh, in the little um, side uh, table beside the bed. Uh, Thor's attempt at cooking by roasting something in the sun for a few weeks. It's almost done. And his attempt at connecting what the Infinity Stones are and great questions involving Thanos. Who is the man in the purple chair? We know he's purple. He has a magic glove and he doesn't like standing up. As well as questions about Nick Fury. uh, Fury. What does he really know? Is Fury his real name? Is it pronounced Furry? Uh, Thor meets up with Bruce Banner in this uh, series as well. Uh, about um, where Thor finds out that Tony and Steve actually contacted Bruce about being on their team. And, Science bros. Yeah, Bruce <laughs> even gets a phone call from Tony while they're sitting at the coffee shop, and he offers to phone to Thor, but Steve's like, or Tony's like, no, no, I, I don't have time, sorry. And Bruce, uh, you know, says uh, to Thor, uh, he doesn't know how to get in touch with you, man. Send a raven. Send a raven. <laughs> so Thor, he's like, am I upset about not being included? No, no, of course not. Besides, I thought about starting my own team, Team Thor, which includes me and Daryl. And Daryl. <laughs> it's on Disney+. Plus. It's actually also listed under uh, Captain America Civil Wars Extras. Go check it Extras. out. Mm-hmm. It's, only, oh, it's like so three good. minutes long, and it's worth every minute. Mm-hmm. So, Ashley, uh, your turn. Like cats? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing it back around. Yes. This is my fluffy Black Panther, Jace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Okay, so Sebastian Stan revealed in an interview that the backpack that Bucky is seen wearing in the trailers contains, or also in in the movie, contains the journals that Bucky has put together of his scattered memories. So as he's been traveling on the lam, he's also clearly been trying to piece together the parts of his mind that remember being, you know, James Buchanan Barnes. Very nice. Kyle? Uh, originally T'Challa had a much smaller role in the earlier drafts and did not even appear in his costumes as the writers intended to put more focus on Spider-Man and save Black Panther's origin for his own movie. However, when it looked like Marvel would not be getting permission to use Spider-Man, Black Panther's role was beefed up significantly. By the time they did did get to use Spider-Man, T'Challa had already become so integral, integral to the plot that they decided to leave his role as it is and give Spider-Man a smaller part. Very nice. So, I've already mentioned my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. connection to this movie earlier when we got to the Teach Us What You Need to Know section. So, I have a couple connections to some other Marvel TV shows. Uh, For example, in Jessica Jones Season 3, The Raft is mentioned several times. It's ultimately where Trish Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, ends up at the end of the season. We also find that that's where Willis Stryker, Diamondback from Luke Cage, uh, was sent after his duel with Luke Cage at the end of season season one but there's also a possible nod to ashby's favorite agent carter while steve and bucky fly to the siberian hydra base they share a memory of bucky spending three whole dollars trying to impress a redhead what was her name again bucky asked dolores steve answered you called her dot on agent carter there's a character named dotty underwood played by the wonderful bridget reagan who was a soviet assassin and a product of the red room program a precursor to the black widow program 
While Dottie's hair was never exactly like super red, we find it hard to believe that Marvel would just casually drop in a dot that interacted with Stephen Bucky in the 1940s and have it not be a nod to Peggy Carter's neighbor turned nemesis turned frenemy. And while we don't know if this encounter between Bucky and Dot was entirely coincidental, probably, or part of one of Dottie's nefarious schemes, probably not, uh, but it would be interesting. One thing is for sure, we want to see the story where Steve, Peggy, Bucky, and Dot go out on a double date. Mm, for sure. So sad. Uh, this movie revealed that Bucky Barnes had been hiding out in Bucharest, uh, which is the capital of Romania. Sebastian Stan is a Romanian-American actor who was born in Constanta, Romania, and raised there until he was eight. In the first scene in Bucharest, Bucky is buying fruits from a street market. Stan's native language is Romanian, and therefore he was able to speak it perfectly. Very nice. Nice. All right, Kyle, your last one? Yes, sir. Uh, Chadwick... Bozeman, is it Bozeman or Bozeman? It's Bozeman, correct? Bozeman. Okay, so I'll make sure Bozeman. I say it wrong. Uh, underwent a vigorous training program to get in fighting shape for the character. While admittedly not being a big reader of the comics as a kid, Bozeman read as many comics as possible for anything Black Panther related. He also visited South Africa to better incorporate cultural aspects of the country into his role. All right, my last nugget here. As I mentioned during Captain America, The Winter Soldier, directors Anthony and Joe Russo got their start directing a wonderful show called Community. And in each of their films, an actor from that show has cameoed. In The Winter Soldier, we got Danny Pudi uh, at the end of uh, the of that movie where he opens the door and Captain and uh, America and Sam. And, uh, I caught all, this one. Uh, I was so proud of myself. Well, in this movie, we have a cameo from Jim Rash, who plays the dean of Greendale Community College. And... Basically the same character here as a faculty member yes. at MIT. Yes. Are the shows connected? Did the dean fall or fell upward after community ended and somehow became the dean at MIT? We need answers, Russo brothers. <laughs> oh my gosh. All I can think uh, so about clearly, is like where Chevy Chase is gonna uh, show up. Sorry, that's just where my brain went. All of my fun facts have a, a theme. So my third mm. one is you know, when we first see Bucky in Bucharest, he's buying fruit from a fruit stand. But that particular fruit he's blind, buying is plums. Why would Bucky be buying plums? Because science has proven science. that fruits like plums and prunes are known to improve your memory. I'm not going to lie. Like, I did question it. Like, not like question, question it. But watching it and he was going through plums, I was like, oh. He's picking out him some plums. And then he looks and asks the guy a question. I was like, he's really interested in these plums. And they're like, I don't know. I like plums. That's Sweet random and it's odd. Angel's buying plums so he can remember. <laughs> Protect Bucky Parts. <laughs> Protect Bucky. All right. Let's jump to our social media shout outs. Do you want to read them, Kyle? Since you normally do that. So I've already pulled up the. Uh, all right. Well, I got some. Yep. Um, let's see. So we asked this week if you were Team Cap or Team Iron Man. Uh, and then overall, just what your thoughts were for the movie. Uh, Kyle McLam said, Team Cap. Amanda Newport had already shared on a, our actual page. It says uh, she shared a gif of Bucky and said, um, Team Bucky, obviously. Or, I mean, no, wait. Uh, I definitely mean it. So, she's Team Bucky. Uh, we had a fun little time here. Ashby joined in. Says it's official. We're breaking off and forming a rogue Team Bucky. Um, and then it turns out just Amanda and Ashby just become friends. 
Um, Dee and I jumped into each other's DMs after that. Yes. We're friends now. Really? Who wins between uh-huh. Team Bucky and Team Thor? Just out of curiosity. Team Bucky. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, there was this one part that I thought that they were going to get in a fight. I was like, how is Ashby going to respond? Because Amanda said, there really was no question of my allegiance. It's no secret he's my marble husband. And I was like, oh, this can go really bad from here. Send a raven. But Ashby took the high road. So I did. Um, I did. Her brother Hunter turned on her and voted Team Iron Man. And then now disowned. Yes. Yes. Who? Um, Who? <laughs> the only Hunter in her life is batting at this point. Yes. That's right. That's right. Um, Brittany Dennis says, this discussion is going to hurt my brain and heart. I'm Team Iron, team Iron Man, but I understand Cap. Um, and then Matt, Matt T says... Matt, like, I know this guy, and I still can't pronounce his last name, but he joins in every week, and we're really thankful for it. Uh, if we're going off of this movie, then Team Cap all the way. I'm not signing over my right to the government to own me and tell me what I can and can't do. Um, let's see. I know we've got some more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wait, that's the video. The Tendul Commandments. <laughs> the Tendul um, Commandments. <laughs> I asked today what you guys thought about the movie and thought if it was, um, if it was stood up to your expectations, was better or was worse. Ronald Johnson says best movie of the MCU. Um, I'm assuming this is Jenny Varnum says one of my favorites. If I'm going to sit down and watch one of the movies out of order, this is almost always my choice. I have to admit, when we first meet Spider Man, I was a little disappointed. I am now a Tom Holland Spider-Man fan, but he grew on me. Um, and let's see if we had any more real quick. Sorry. It's been a little slow today. I think that was it. Cool. We may have had some on Instagram. Um, if you did, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah. So we're heading to another section here. I believe. Uh, this is going to be a short section because we're only going to allow each other one minute to, to debate. Otherwise, I know we can go on and on. and But this podcast is already going for an hour and 45 minutes at this point. So this is the debate. Team Iron Man versus Team Captain America. Um, we're going to allow each person one minute to present their case. And then after everyone has presented their case, everyone will get one minute to have a rebuttal. And then we're going to put it out there for you, the listener, to decide in a poll who won. Team, you know, who, who which team you know, won this debate, Team Iron Man or Team Cap. And we'll do that on the social medias next week if we want to. I mean, I'm assuming that would be a good idea. Might as well. Might as well. You already threw it out there. Might as well, sure. All right, put down the gauntlet. So, who would like to go first? I'll go. All right. (laughs) You got one minute. We're starting now. I'm Team Cap. I'm typically a pretty much rule follower. But something that is but something that is important to me is standing up and doing what is right, even when it's not popular or is frowned upon. If I was Cap, I knew there was something need, or someone that needed help and I could do something about it. And then I would find out really hard to be told that I was not allowed to help. Um, I understand for the need for something like the Accords and if it would have been something that had plenty of time to look over um, and talk about and have discussion and make a better version of it, I could be swayed more the other way. Um, but just getting it thrown into your lap, being told mere days before it's official, I would already just been really against it. Um, I just really love the fact of, I don't say love, but I feel like there's very something strongly there that if there's, if you're able to do something right, 
even if it's frowned upon, if there's something that you should do to be able to help and you're able to, then you need to do it. All right. Ashby, you want to go next since I think you're on the same team? Wait, whose team am I on? <laughs> Whoever's team you want to be on. All right. Ready? Three, two, go. So, obviously, Captain America, Steve Rogers, is, you know, he has the right idea that, you know, the the idea of fighting for um, people when they can, when they want to, for who they want to, should be left in the hands of the Avengers and should not be some kind of, like, governmental oversight that is going to put a lot of red tape and a lot of, like, dotting I's and crossing T's in their path and will stop them from saving people because the whole point of the accords right is that innocent lives have been lost but how many other innocent lives would be lost if the avengers had to wait to save the world every time the world was in peril think about all of the things that happened down to the second in places like new york and sokovia and having to stand around and wait for some governmental oversight board to give you permission to do that would just gum up the works um, I, I think that Steve agrees that there should be some kind of, you Time. know, agreed upon way to operate across borders and across different countries and cultures. But the idea of putting all of these rules in place is a problem. Okay. We gave you 20 more seconds. Way to follow the rules oh, of, I, the, of the debate there, Ashby. <laughs> look, I didn't come prepared like Kyle did. I didn't have talking points. But don't worry, because I, I, I said them and then tried to say them again without saying them, I also so. don't have talking points, but uh, I'm ready to go. I think I've got a, a decent argument here. I understand Captain America's point. I'm usually team captain some of these issues, but I also understand Tony Stark's point, so why, that's why I'm going to take his side here since y'all are ganging up on him. Um, do we not regulate weapons in by the government? I feel like we do because we just don't want anyone being able to choose what to do with a weapon all the time at any point in life. That's why we don't allow some people using them. The Avengers are literally a weapon. Okay, They are literally weapons that are designed by Tony Stark. They would not have some of the stuff if it wasn't for him. So he's making the decision that shield, all those wings that, uh, that Sam has, all the stuff they use – this designed by Stark Industries. He's making the decision, hey, we need to put it in some better hands so we can have some perspective. We need to make sure we do not do something that we're not supposed to do. Yes, I understand the idea of not reporting to a board, um, but sometimes what if there is a country that doesn't want you there? Does Nigeria want the Avengers there? I don't know. Time. Probably not. I'm going to take my 10 seconds here. I think Tony has the right idea. It's not perfect in execution, but he's on to something that we need to consider. I have a rebuttal. Counterpoint, what I'm hearing is that uh, there's a Tony Stark problem, not an Avengers problem. Mm. So that sounds like someone should Are you making your Tony official Stark. rebuttal now? That's my rebuttal, Okay, yes. you, got a, you got a minute, Kyle. Go. The problem is when you start some of these things is how far are you going to go with it? Because if you really want to get serious about it and look into the comic books, Peter Parker, if you sign up and sign these accords... Comic books are not on trial here. The movie is. It gets further, though, that if you sign to these things, then you have to register who you legally are. The world has to be able to know who you are. So young Spider-Man, who's only a 15-year-old boy who's fighting crime in his town and doing the best he can, has to legally let the world know that he is Peter Parker. And so now a 15-year-old child 
has all the people in the world aiming after him because they know who he is now. They can go after Dangerous. his grandmother, the, anybody, because there's plenty of other heroes. Same way with uh, Daredevil, who is a lawyer by day, but a superhero by night or a hero by night. And all of a sudden, now he has to register and let all the world know that he is a fighter. You know, he's not only a lawyer, he's also a hero. Um, now, how many people has he fought or beat up or seen sent to jail that now have unable to come back and say, I have a good reason not to be in jail anymore. This lawyer also beat the crap out of me. You got to be careful of those things. So what I'm hearing, and here's my rebuttal, y'all are saying it's a Tony Stark problem. I'm hearing we don't want any kind of legislation at all. I'm hearing we should be able to do what we want to with our superpowers. Um, who cares who gets hurt along the way? Yes, there has to be some kind of oversight. It's not perfect, but who's the stop? I mean, the, the powers they have can easily be used for evil can easily be used for something that's not good and uh, that's nefarious. And if we're just saying, hey, they should be allowed to go and do what they want to, who's to say why that's a good thing? I think that's a terrible thing. Yes, it's a slippery slope. Yes, you need to be careful on how far it goes. But I don't like the idea of saying, no, willy-nilly, we can just do what we want because we think the best hands are our own. No, there's biases there too. There has to be a there has to be a good medium and an equal set um, – like an equal footing uh, here, and for them to not even consider oversight is a poor judgment on their part. And I cede my time because that's all we got. So there's the debate, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, I got, you know, just like Iron Man got teamed up, you know, this wasn't Iron Man's movie, this was Captain America's movie, so of course he was going to be made to look like a bad guy. But, um, you know, feel free to vote who for him. He had three other movies to look like the good guy. That was up to him. Yeah, and I feel like he was. He saved the world. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's all we've got uh, for today. Y'all have anything else y'all want to add? Clearly, I'm terrible at debate. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to run my mouth. Uh, well, anybody on our side uh, hiding any shocking or fantastic abilities they'd like to disclose? I can't smell it. I can turn my right leg all the way around. It's pretty cool. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I've run out of patience. Under ruse! <laughs> A big thank you to Ricky Lyles for all of his contributions to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. That's your punt for the rest of this journey into the MCU films and other pop culture entities as we are. Next month, we take a journey into the strange. That is Doctor Strange. Uh, we'll be discussing his first movie in the MCU next month. Next week, I'm taking the week off. Kyle and Ashby are going to be holding a discussion on arguments with your parents. Yes. And it's going to sound... Got sick. some doozies. It's going to be pretty pretty awesome from what I understand, so I hope you all enjoy that and tune in for that. Until next time, stay as cool as the other side of the pillow. I don't care if you like cats or not. And we will see you next week. What the what? Bye. Bye.